Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hey, Have You Seen podcast, where every episode I watch a movie that I have never seen before and give you my thoughts on it. I am your host, Heather, and let's get this stuff out of the way first. Hi. Hello again. Obviously, I wound up taking a several-month hiatus instead of just a week off for vacation. There are a couple of reasons for that. Number one being that my first season ended up being way more of an experiment than I meant, and I needed to figure out how the structure of my podcast was going to work long-term, and B, when I got back to my job from vacation, some stuff happened, and I wound up changing my whole career path. So, now that I am settled in my new job, I am back and hopefully better than ever. I am just skipping over everything that I had intended for the rest of season one and moving right into season two and the new way episodes are going to come out. I am no longer going to be doing one movie from a set group of year categories and instead I'm just going to do three randomly selected movies from the giant ever-growing list that I have. A movie of my choice, which will typically be something that I've seen before and remember enjoying from my younger years, a randomly selected animated movie that I may or may not have seen before, and a movie from the last year or so because I am super current and relevant. Uh, and sometimes I'll pop in a movie or special double feature that you guys will choose. I am going to start putting up polls on the pod Insta for all of you to vote on, so make sure you follow me there at hey, have you seen underscore. Whew, okay, on to what you're all actually here for. This is season two, episode one, Knives Out. Now, you may be thinking, Heather... WTF, why is your first episode back Knives Out? That is an incredibly random movie to pick, and you are right to question me. The answer is that my person thought I may like this movie and put it on before I could protest, and it was so strange and convoluted and wonderful that I was inspired to start the podcast again to talk about it. I'm working a little bit backwards at this point because I have seen the movie before being able to put down my initial thoughts or watch the trailer, but I did not know anything about this movie prior to watching it. I didn't even know this movie existed before it was put on. I kind of wish I still didn't know this movie existed because it is taking up way too much of my brain power to figure out what the actual F was happening during it. Going into it with absolutely no idea what to expect was definitely not the right move with this movie. Anyway, this movie somehow has a critic score of 97% and an audience score of 92%. I am truly bewildered by these numbers. Obviously, none of these ratings are coming from medical professionals because this movie really doesn't make sense if you have any real medical knowledge. And besides, this movie should have been in the 70% range for Daniel Craig's terrible southern accent alone. Seriously? Who decided that accent was a good idea? I could not take his character seriously for one second once he started speaking. Took me out of the whole movie. Okay, okay, fine. The movie wasn't that bad. It was actually a pretty fun, campy, maybe even a parody take on a whodunit. I even paused the movie after about the first five minutes to ask if this was a new spin on the Clue movie or Agatha Christie's book and then there were none or something. And this movie seems to know exactly what it is and is leaning into all the classic whodunit tropes throughout the film, all wrapped up in a masterful cinematographic and compositional package. More on that later. The official description reads, these circumstances surrounding the death of crime novelist Harlan Thrombey are mysterious. But there's one thing that renowned detective Benoit Blanc knows for sure. Everyone in the wildly dysfunctional Thromby family is a suspect. Now, Blanc must sift through a web of lies and red herrings to uncover the truth. Red herrings? 
Is that what we're calling them? I feel like obviously placed misdirects is a better way to describe what is happening for most of this movie. I honestly thought this movie was a poor film adaptation of a book, but sadly it is not. I was excited to read this hypothetical book because I think if you got to know the characters better and have more details on this world, it could have been great. The movie acts like you're supposed to know the Blanc character from the beginning, know how he does his investigations, know his quirks, know his flaws, but you don't. And you have to play a kind of catch-up as you watch the movie, which was possibly the intention here, but I found it frustrating. Same for the character that gets murdered, Harlan. Seems like a super interesting dude, but you get to know very little about him. Don't worry though, you get to know a whole lot about Marta, the most boring person in this whole movie. Eh, I take that back. Marta makes some insane choices. Meg is probably the most boring character. She adds literally nothing to this film except to make a point about wealthy people who posture as advocates for marginalized groups. This movie does have quite an interesting, subtle political filter on it that I enjoyed, which cannot be said for a lot of movies that I've seen. If I could ignore the labyrinthian murder plot, I think I would like this movie a whole lot more. Moving on to the trailer, let's just see if this would have gotten me to watch the movie if I had seen it in 2019. Okay, okay, not gonna lie. Yes, I probably would have been enticed to watch the movie from the trailer. To whomever put that together, kudos, great trailer. Although it does give away the horrible southern accent, and I may have decided I couldn't sit through that for two hours, but it also shows quite a bit of one of the best characters in this film, Ransom, who is an incredible a-hole the entire time, and it's such a fun performance to watch from Chris Evans. Not much else to say about the trailer, so let's just get straight into this movie, shall we? I don't want this entire podcast to be about how cool the visuals are, so after this sentence, I will move on, but just know that watching this movie is delightful. They did such a good job of making it look like you are watching an old film, even though it was shot entirely with digital cameras. And the way the camera moves adds so much to the mystery and suspense of the storytelling. It really is spectacular. I will now also be taking the time to celebrate the musical score and composition of this movie because it plays so perfectly in each scene to pull you in and keep you invested in what is happening. Okay, all right. As promised, I will now stop geeking out about the music and shut up about the visuals and move on to the plot and the characters. Wait, no, I will also get this out of the way because this house is so cool. Like, what is that triangle-shaped door to Harlan's bedroom? Are there several hidden passages or just the one to the attic office? The trick window literally has a painting of a child climbing in a window in that fake wall in front of it. Who does that? 10 out of 10, I would let the ghosts that definitely live there haunt me if I got to explore and live here and use that library. Okay, for real now, on to the rest of the movie. The first real point that I have is about that rude police officer who asked Marta if she's with the help. Why was that necessary? You guys called people back to the house for questioning. You know people are going to be showing up. Why not just ask who she is in general? Although I understand from a storytelling standpoint, it's to establish that Marta was, in fact, employed by Harlan and not a blood relative of the family, and to set up Meg's relationship with her for the later reveal that Meg sucks just as much as the rest of her family. It was still very rude of random cop number one. Then we get into the police interviews, and this is an entertaining sequence of the family members lying about very 
various aspects of their relationship with Harlan and each other. You also get to see the little differences in how they remember the events of the night going and how they view themselves within the family dynamic. Lots of little pieces of information are revealed here for you to puzzle out, and several clever things come up that do not play out until much later in the movie. For example, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Linda, tells the investigators she and her father had a secret way of communicating. And you maybe don't think anything of that, just a loving daughter and her quirky father communicating through nods and glances, but this phrase is later revealed to have a very different meaning. You also learn that despite the insistence that Marta is part of the family, each thrombi names a different random country that they think her family is from, and a very playful reveal of who the F is that random guy playing the single note on the piano. Ooh, he's the Sherlock Holmes of this movie. But wait, he definitely dodged answering the question of who hired him. Mysterious. Now what I don't get is why Harlan decided to have all of these tough conversations in one day on his birthday. Was Harlan sitting there like, to hell with it, I'm 85 and it's time to burn everything to the ground simultaneously. Oh, it's because every character needs to have a reason they would have murdered Harlan? Right. Now this baseball thing is such a good slow play reveal that runs throughout the entire movie, but what window did Richard throw it through? There are no open windows in that office. I also have a problem with Marta's regurgitative reaction to mistruthing because she seems to only vomit when it's convenient for the plot. If she really has a psychosomatic reaction to even the thought of lying, as she says, then she would not be able to control it in the way that she does at various times throughout the movie. But I will forgive this dumb plot device because the somebody dodged a very important question, and it was me, reveal that Benoit <laughs> does is fantastic. Benoit just lives in his own little world, and I love it. I also enjoy the timeline outline and the aha, the game is a foot moment that happens when all of the investigators are talking. Then we get into some of my big problems with the movie. We get to see this very sweet moment with Marta and Harlan being friends, joking with each other, and playing a game. And oh, what's that? Two almost identical vials of medication right next to each other? And they get knocked on the ground? Side note, real quick, I am so tickled that they decided to add a little clinking glass sound as Marta picks up the dropped medications that are very obviously in plastic bottles. Glass vials don't have that rounded lip near the top. Anyway, those dropped meds couldn't have possibly been mixed up, right? Oh no, I'm shocked. So in real life, there's no way these medications would look so similar because morphine typically comes in really small vials because of the concentration or pre-filled syringes, especially for infrequent users like Harlan, as the movie tells us. And if they somehow did look identical, Marta would know that they did because she does this every day. So she would check the freaking label before drawing it up and administering it, even if you know it's the right vial. Even if you already checked the vial. You check it again. Maybe you would even put a band-aid on one of them or some kind of physical mark to help you differentiate. Because if you don't check and your patient dies because of it, I I don't know what I would do with myself. Now this leads into a discussion about medical errors in general. They happen every day. Most of them do not result in death or even any kind of harm to a patient, but they do happen. Because for as much as people like to pretend that medical professionals are all-knowing superhero people, flawlessly perfect at everything they do, medical providers are human too and humans make mistakes. However, when you know that someone's well-being or their very life is dependent on what you are doing, you double-check the damn 
vile. And I know that it's revealed that Marta is such a good nurse that she can tell the almost imperceptible differences between the two liquids based on viscosity and tinticure, so she gave the correct medication despite the labeling, and that is absolute BS. No, she cannot. Now, with the medications for Toradol and intramuscular penicillin, absolutely, those medications feel completely different when being administered. Iron penicillin feels like you're pushing concrete through a straw. But I'm going to say that 90% of medications, especially intravenous medications, feel the exact same when you are pushing them. If Benoit had said she could tell the minute differences between the liquids based on how easily they draw out of the vial, that would be more believable, but not by much. I will get off my soapbox now for a very brief moment. To mention the slightly strange metaphor that Harlan is using to talk about Ransom, which turns out to be foreshadowing for the end of the film, nicely done writers, and back to my soapbox. Because 100 milligrams of Tordal, aka Cateralac, as shown in the movie, but I hate saying that and I'm gonna keep using Tordal, is a crazy high dose of that medication anyway for someone who is over the age of 65. Geriatric patients are not supposed to go over 60 milligrams total per day, and in general, you're not supposed to use Toradol for more than about five days in a row because it may not kill you right away, but an extremely high dose like that for what this movie makes seem like is months of use is killing you slowly from a GI bleed or one of the other adverse effects like renal failure. And that is something Marta should know, and she should question whomever is prescribing the Toradol at that dose. Now, 100 milligrams of morphine is a super high dose. That is not good, but it would take longer than 10 minutes for you to die, especially with someone who presumably, as a registered nurse, knows how to perform CPR while the ambulance is on the way. And Marta doesn't even work for a nursing agency. She said she was hired by Harlan directly, so if Marta did make this error and got Harlan help, unless he wanted to take legal action or fire her, she really wouldn't get in any trouble. She would probably feel like a giant piece of flaming garbage and maybe not be able to do her job very well anymore, but again, without Harlan instigating it, which obviously he would not have, Marta would not be in trouble with the law or at least be at risk of her mother being deported. That being said, Harlan literally revealing Ransom's plan to kill him as if it were a cool book plot that he is just coming up with on the spot is another bit of amazing writing. Harlan is telling us all of this as Marta is desperately searching for the naloxone because it should be immediately available to anyone who's using an opioid for this exact reason, accidental or intentional overdose. This is what tipped me off that something was actually wrong, and even as this movie tried to lead me away from this, I just kept thinking, but who took the naloxone? Marta tries to call the ambulance, and Harlan hangs up the landline, and this is where things get messy. We know Marta has a cell phone, so why doesn't she just step outside the room and call 911? Harlan can't chase you if he really does have that much morphine in his system, and if he is able to chase you around, that would probably be a pretty good indication that he did not actually get a deadly dose of narcotics. Instead, Marta makes the insane choice to go along with Harlan's cover-up. Cut to an amusing voiceover montage where, as Harlan is telling Marta how to get away with murder, she is executing his plan, but not perfectly. I'm skipping over the part where Marta can now suddenly hold her puke in until after the police interview, where she is mistruthing the whole time, when before she couldn't hold it in for one second when being asked questions unrelated to the murder, but whatever. Cut to Linda reading some letters from her father, and if you look 
real close, you can see spots on the paper where she's had to heat them up before being able to read the disappearing ink. What a cool detail to catch during the movie because now you know the note Richard found in Harlan's office isn't blank like he thinks it is, and he just left it laying around on the desk waiting to be found. It also shows that he doesn't pay enough attention to his wife because how does he not know that Linda and Harlan have been communicating like this for years? On to this flashback from the party that Marta has where we get to see what really happened when the family was talking about politics and the scene where Walt tells Marta that they want to take care of her financially. And this is a great couple of scenes for several reasons that I will gloss over briefly because this podcast is going to be so long already. But we see Richard being awful to Marta while naming yet another random country he thinks her family is from. Walt tells Marta he thought she should be at the funeral, but he was outvoted, which pretty much every thrombie has said to her so far, what a bunch of jerks! And several small details are revealed that will end up being part of the big final reveal. Moving right along, the next part that I want to talk about is how at this point we are learning that although Marta made the crazy choice to go along with this cover-up, Harlan did not really give her much of an option as she tried to insist on getting him help several times, although again, I don't know where her cell phone is to just call 911 despite his protesting. And just so everybody knows, you can call for an ambulance for someone even if they don't want you to if you think they need medical attention. If the paramedics arrive and their help is no longer needed or the person refuses to get medical attention from them, which they will try to convince them to do if it's needed, or if they get medical attention and refuse to go to the hospital after, the paramedics will leave. They may send someone to follow up with you later, but no hard feelings. It is literally their job to respond when people call for help. But instead, Harlan kills himself right in front of Marta. Ugh, that would be so incredibly horrific to watch. It was hard to watch on screen. And I can see how Marta's shock led her to just going along with her friend's plan. Bad decision still, but I can see how it happened. You also see the camera slow zoom onto a spot of blood on Marta's white shoes. Number one, that over a week old dried blood would not be bright red anymore. And number two, those shoes are bright white. And we see that the ground is muddy and gravelly, and Marta is shown walking around through the forest to get back into Harlan's house. So her shoes would either have many other brownish stains on them, and the blood would be impossible to see, or Marta cleans her shoes every day, and in that case, she would have seen the blood and cleaned it off already. There is just no way this bright red fleck of blood is distinguishable anymore after a week. On to my next problem, which is that the cute little cherry fridge magnet absolutely Absolutely is not strong enough to erase that VHS tape of the security footage. The groundskeeper says he uses a magnetic degausser to erase them normally, which has a magnetic strength of about 4,000 gauss, and your standard fridge magnet has about 100 gauss. I could go much more in depth about what I learned about magnets because I may have fallen down a little bit of a rabbit hole while looking up those relative strengths, but there's a lot of movie left to talk about, so onward we go. I love the dogs in this movie. They must have had so much fun running around and getting pets the whole time, and they play an important part in solving the mystery. I laughed out loud when Benoit is inspecting the trellis, and one of the dogs runs up to Marta with the part she knocked off in its mouth, and then she freaking chucks it before Benoit turns around. Marta, baby, that dog thinks you're playing a game of fetch and is going to bring that right back, which is shown later and is also hilarious. In addition, the fact that the dogs hate Ransom is funny because dogs are, in my opinion, a good judge of character. And then you get to enjoy my 
favorite character in this film in all his glory, Ransom. Just waltzing around, eating cookies, ignoring the cops, dropping zingers like CSI, KFC, and riling up his whole family just because he can. Obviously this guy is the worst, right? That's what makes it so fun to watch, especially being played by America's sweetheart, Chris Evans. Now you also find out more clues about what happened the night that Harlan died, and we have the will reading. I will say that the subtle nod to misogyny in the workplace is wonderfully portrayed by the woman who is obviously doing all the work for this lawyer, and he is just taking all the credit with no acknowledgement. And before there are a bunch of people who are like, well, he's the boss, and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it, you're missing the point. Anyway, the will reading is a big reveal that Harlan has left all of his assets to Marta, and absolute chaos ensues. People are yelling at one point Linda asked Marta if she was boinking her father, and I cannot believe that the cops just left Marta to her own devices with this swarm of angry thrombies coming at her. Benoit is the only one who tries to help her, and Marta then runs out of the house, tries to start her car, it won't turn on, and Ransom pulls up next to her and saves her from the swarm. At this point, I was asking if Ransom did something to her car to try and get her alone, but that is never confirmed. Now we see Ransom taking Marta to a diner to talk, making sure that she eats, and then he tells her he knows about her puking thing, and she has to spill the beans figuratively or she will literally spill all of the beans that she just ate, which is <laughs> amazing. So Marta tells him everything for some reason, instead of just telling him the same not technically lies as the police and then very conveniently holds her puke until later. I felt the need to bring that up again because pick a lane movie, either she pukes and has to tell Ransom the truth or she can technically lie kind of and hold her puke, whatever, moving on. Ransom offers to help her for his share of the inheritance. This is some evil genius shiitake and right here is where I decided that Ransom did it. I just wasn't sure how yet. This leads to Meg's trail of Marta now that the tables have turned and it really rounds out Meg's character and cue Marta deciding to now go along with Ransom to continue the cover-up. Now Benoit goes to talk to Great Nana and it seems like the movie wants you to believe that she is of sound enough mind to be used for evidence, but she does mistake Marta for Ransom when they see each other through the window on the night of the party, so I don't know about that. Onto this super creepy scene where Walt is waiting for Marta in the back hallway of her building and and threatens her like a creep, and then Marta finds a blackmail note in her pile of mail that gives the impression someone has her medical bag and the toxicology results for Harlan. Uh-oh. Cut to a shot of the medical examiner's building that has been burned down. A few things here. It is pointed out that the security camera outside is burnt to a crisp, but wouldn't the footage still be saved somewhere? And wouldn't there be more than one solitary camera for this medical examination office? Another thing. What the actual F Ransom. He just destroyed evidence for hundreds of cases. And I know this is a movie, but it made me sick to my stomach thinking about all the people who are now probably going to get away with awful things because of this. And again, I know this is a movie, but I really, really don't think that they accurately portrayed the horrificness of what Ransom has just done. But at the same time, you guys, why do you think that toxicology report wasn't already digitized and emailed to the detectives? Because in real life, it definitely was. And that camera footage and digitized copy of the completed report are in a backup server just waiting to be pulled for evidence because everybody in this county is going to be livid 
that somebody burned down this office and ruined all of their cases. Now, I don't really want to say that much about this car chase because it is dumb and unnecessary and not even that exciting to watch. What was exciting to watch was the spider crawling on Fran's face. Oh, maybe exciting isn't the right word. I should probably go with nightmare-inducing. Thanks, movie. And Marta is being real brave here, meeting with an unknown person in an unknown location, defenseless. That seems dumb. Also, this scene stands to prove my point about Harlan probably being fine until an ambulance arrived, because who knows how much of that morphine Fran got, and she was there for who knows how long, and she was still able to talk to Marta briefly before dying. Then we get to see an amazing little display of the subtle sexism women deal with on a daily basis when Marta and Blanc walk back into the house, and Richard starts talking about Marta to Blanc like she isn't standing right there and able to speak for herself. Nice. And then we move on to the big reveal scene. And I thought the start of this was freaking hilarious because Marta decides to confess everything to the family before actually looking at the results, which Benoit is doing in the background. And then he awkwardly busts in, pulls her away while talking about how the whole family has their knives out. Wink, wink. It's fantastic. Plus, we get the ending of the little baseball story playing out in the same scene with one of the dogs sitting next to Linda, who realizes that the ball is from her father study, goes to put it back, and finds the blank letter sitting on Harlan's desk. Mwah. Chef's kiss to the excellent B storyline being wrapped up so well. Now Blanc goes off on this tangent about how the proverbial donut has a hole in its center that is in fact not a donut hole being filled by a donut's hole at all, but it's actually another smaller donut with its own hole that means the larger donut is not whole at all. Did you follow that? No? Of course not. Nobody did because it's a lovely little bit of wordplay that would have been much more effective if used in a written word context versus a spoken one. Seriously though, props to whomever wrote that speech because it probably looked so pretty typed out on the page, it just does not translate as well when said aloud. Same with one of the bigger reveals that happens in a moment with Fran actually saying with her dying breath, H-U-G-H did this and not Y-O-U did this as Marta interprets it. Hugh, you, Hugh, you. Ugh. Anyway, now we get the visual symbolism of Blanc perfectly filling the hole in the center of the knife chair because he filled the donut hole of crime. But I wanted to see Ransom filling the knife chair hole because he was the villain wannabe murderer, and that would have been so much better in my personal opinion. And side note, if I ever get a throne for some reason, it will be decorated like this knife chair, but more ornately, and have similar backlighting so that I look like a hellish angel framed by a halo of knives for reasons. Moving on. Benoit starts to do his big monologue, and turns out Ransom swapped the meds and took the naloxone, but wait, Marta actually still gave Carlin the right medication because, again, Marta can somehow tell the differences of tentacure and viscosity between the meds while picking up the vials, which is stupid and I'm not gonna get on my soapbox again. And Marta is absolutely not a good nurse because she thinks she literally killed someone via medical error because she didn't check the labels before giving meds and then she still doesn't look at the labels when picking them up here. 
here. She has learned nothing. I will die on this hill. This is not a sweet moment of truth about Marta's fundamental goodness. This is proof that she should not be allowed to continue practicing medicine. Again, medical practitioners are human and unfortunately make mistakes sometimes. Even if that mistake doesn't result in patient harm, it sticks with you and you make sure it does not happen again if you are actually good at your job. Okay, deep breath. So, turns out Harlan actually did just commit suicide and I was right not to let go of the fact that the naloxone disappeared. Yay me. Back to this terrible revelation with so many unbelievable things. It turns out Fran got a copy of the toxicology report because her cousin works at the medical examiner's office. What? Fran's cousin should be fired immediately and maybe brought up on charges. Also, I would believe way more that her cousin simply told her that information because people be gossiping. But really, how does Fran's cousin even have access to the, I'm assuming, confidential information as the receptionist? I don't know enough about the inner workings of a medical examiner's office here to keep ruminating on this, so I will move on. Just know I'm not buying it. I wish so deeply that Ransom had gotten a ransom note from Fran and not a blackmail note because that's super fun, but whatever. Fran also has a terrible plan to go confront Ransom. I don't know how she thought that was going to go, but meeting someone you believe is a murderer alone in an undisclosed location with no weapon or escape plan, kind of like Marta did earlier, again is really dumb. Anyway, yet another dumb thing is that Marta for some reason gets the call that Fran is dead. Why would the hospital be calling her? HIPAA violations are no joke, y'all. Marta had no familial relation to this woman. Fran was unconscious and unable to write her consent for Marta to know her medical information, and I doubt Fran already had Marta listen as her emergency contact with her own family obviously in town. And if Fran was a suspected murder victim, then the detective working the case would have gotten the call, not a rando civilian. But it is super funny to think about the doctor on the other end of the phone call being like, what the actual F? When Marta's reaction to hearing about Fran's death is, wow, doctor, that's great news. He's probably sitting in there like, why? Why am I calling this woman? Anyway, we're right back to Marta's super convenient control over her puking thing in this scene. Seriously, movie, pick a lane. Either Marta can't even think about mistruthin' without vomiting, or she can control it. It can't be both. Now we get a delightful little piece of dialogue where Ransom is telling Marta she can't steal from his ancestral family home, and Benoit is like, lol, you dummy, Harlan bought this house in the 80s, shut up. This really sets Ransom off, and he starts spewing confessions like an idiot, and he seems to not comprehend that he did not just commit arson, he destroyed evidence for hundreds of police cases. And there's no way that even with a good lawyer, he is getting off easy. I have very little faith in our justice system, but I do have faith that if you ruin hundreds of cases and piss off that many police officers, detectives, victims of crimes, and their loved ones, those people's lawyers, and the judges on those cases, that you are not going to get off easily. Boy, you are in for a bad time. Then suddenly Marta cannot control it anymore and pukes right in Ransom's face, which is super gross. And I don't know why this otherwise kind of snooty, cerebral-appearing movie could not resist bodily fluid humor. Anyway, now that Ransom knows he's been totally caught with a confession of murder on a recording, he decides to stab Marta. Seems like a weird choice, but whatever. And he grabs what I assume is the only prop knife in this giant collection of knives, which is totally unbelievable. Maybe some of the other knives are prop knives, but we can clearly see that a lot of them are made from a single un broken piece of metal, so it seems really 
that key that Ransom grabs this retractable one. And then Marta acts like she's unharmed by this large dude tackling her and stabbing something at her chest with a lot of force. Like, okay. She wasn't stabbed, but that means the full force of Ransom's swing just landed on her chest wall, and at the very least, Marta is going to have a nasty bruise and the wind knocked out of her. More likely, she has several cracked ribs and maybe a pulmonary contusion. But the slow pullback at the camera to show Marta not dying and the realization on Ransom's face that he tried to stab her with a prop knife is so good. And the little stabs he does where you can just hear the prop knife squeaking is just, mm, it's so good. And this next scene where music is playing while Ransom is let out of the house and his family is all standing around in varying states of shock and horror, delightful. And the final piece of this B story coming together with Linda revealing the invisible ink on the letter and having this realization wash over her that her son is a murderer and her husband is a cheater. Also delightful. Now less delightful is this next part where Marta is asking Benoit how he knew she played a part in the possible murder and he points out that teeny spot of blood on her shoe. We already went through how this is dumb, so I won't launch into it again, but it's dumb. Then we get a little spooky, because the movie shows the frowning painted portrait of Harlan is now smiling because his demise has been solved and it's unsettling. I knew this house was haunted. The final shot of Marta walking out onto the balcony holding the My House, My Rules mug as the whole family looks up at her is a pretty nice way to wrap all this up. Very clean, symbolic visual there. And that was the movie, in all of its glory and all of its stupidity. I, I did not hate this movie. Again, I love a whodunit. I just wish there had been some editing. I really think this could have been close to flawless. Uh, I will probably watch this movie again for fun. And honestly, I would like to thank the people who made this movie because it inspired me to start this podcast again and have it be my longest episode yet. And another thank you to my person for thinking I would like this movie and just turning it on before I could say anything about it. <laughs> and now a thank you to all of you for joining me this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. Or at least not to mad at me for probably disliking your favorite movie. As always, I am sorry not sorry about that. Please don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with your people, write me a review, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at HeyHaveYouSeen underscore, or send me an email at HeyHaveYouSeenPod at gmail.com. I hope you have a fantabulous day and will join me next time for yet another movie that I have not seen. Bye!